This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Guest on my podcast this week is Rebecca Clyde, co-founder and CEO of Botco AI. We've moved into this on-demand economy, right? Everything has become instant and 24-7. And unfortunately, businesses have struggled to really keep up with that on-demand experience that customers expect today. If you really look at the buyer journey, you may have questions along the way as you're trying to ask these questions. And today, it's very slow to get those answers. You're gonna be playing phone tag. You're gonna be like emailing back and forth to get those answers and probably feeling very frustrated by the time you get all the information you need to make a decision. And this is no longer acceptable for customers. 73% of customers require, and this is for business and consumer buyers, are expecting instant engagement in order to make a buying decision about your company. And if you can't instantly answer them, they will go to whoever else has the fastest answer. This is Rebecca. She's an entrepreneur pioneering AI-driven chatbot technology. She's recognized as one of the 35 entrepreneurs of 35 and younger by the Arizona Republic and named most admired leader by the Phoenix Business Journal in 2018. Most of her career, she's been in marketing, where she drove business growth through creative and innovative communication strategies. And this sparked the idea to co-found Botco.ai. The company is founded on the idea that brands are leaving money on the table through their inability to avoid significant time delays in answering questions from their prospective customers. As businesses, we haven't figured out yet how to make ourselves accessible through messaging in a way that is meaningful and we can do at scale. And this triggered me. Hence, I invited Rebecca to my podcast. We discussed the effects of the growing mismatch in what customers have come to expect and what businesses are able to provide them when it comes to the way we communicate. We also discussed the journey that Rebecca went through from the idea to driving remarkable results and the lessons that she's learned along the way. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, why true impact is created if, with your solution, you can redefine the tech-human symbiosis, i.e. the different roles that humans can play in the process to create value. Secondly, what benefits you'll get if you thoroughly test the viability of your idea before you start writing any line of code. And thirdly, 
The momentum that sparks once you make bets on being highly specialized and focus on the non-obvious underserved markets. So hi, Rebecca. Welcome on my podcast today. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. It's a pleasure. I found your company, I think, through a, yeah, an announcement. Either it was about funding or it was a, about an award you won. And that's how I started to dig into what Botco AI is doing. And it intrigued me. And I, always, I, mean, I typically also the founder story and, and how these things start is always of interest to me. But before we go in, in detail about what is the big idea behind your company, it's always fun to know a little bit about kind of the person that I have on the phone here. So if you had to describe yourself in two or three words, what words would you use? Oh, that's a great question. Well, thank you for asking that. I would say in three words, you know, I love starting, love the beginning of things. I'm very driven. You know, I'm the kind of person that will just kind of go through any kind of obstacle, which makes me a good entrepreneur for that reason. <laughs> and then I'm also highly connected. And, you know, one of the things I love doing is finding the relationship between things and people and opportunities in those relationships. And so cool, the unique yeah. mix of those three things that kind of makes it come together. Yeah. And these are great characteristics to run a technology company these days. <laughs> so fun. So talking about your company, well, let's dive into it immediately. Explain it a little bit. And what is the big idea behind this? My company, Botco AI, is an artificial intelligence platform for chat. We help businesses have meaningful and intelligent connections with their customer use conversation. Big idea is that, you know, right now we've moved into this on-demand economy, right? Everything has become instant and 24-7. And unfortunately, businesses have struggled to really keep up with that on-demand experience that customers expect today. And I noticed a gap. I have been working in marketing for 15 years and I noticed this gap. And so I, I felt very to address it. Okay, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, I've been in marketing myself as well, and product marketing typically. And I mean, if you look, look back 15 years, it was completely different. What I've seen also is that a lot of people have tried to keep working the same way, but the world has changed around them. Yes. What problem did you see with that? I mean, yes, of course, there's customers expecting different things, but what else did you see? So if you really look at the buyer journey, you know, how people decisions about whether they're going to buy something, and I'm talking about large considered purchases, right? Not just the price, but say you're shopping for, you know, a gym membership or, you know, something that where you're going to take a little bit more thought into it. You may have questions along the way as you're trying to ask these questions. And today, it's very slow to get those answers. You're going to be playing phone tag. You're going to be like emailing back and forth. To get those answers and probably feeling very frustrated by the time you get all the information you need to make a decision. And this is no longer acceptable for customers. Salesforce just put out a study that indicated that the name of the report is the state of the connected customer. They put out this report every year. And in the most recent report, it showed that 73% of customers require, and this is for business and consumer buyers, are expecting instant engagement in order to make a buying decision about your company. And if you can't instantly answer them, they will go to whoever else has the fastest answer. Wow. So now it's not really about just having the best product or just having the best experience. It's more about also being the fastest to answer their questions and to get them what they're looking for. And that's the, the one thing that businesses and marketers have really missed. And they have the tools or the platforms to make this 
easy for them to achieve. And so when I saw that gap, I said, okay, well, we need to fix that. And we happen to be in a really exciting time right now where finally AI and advancements in natural language processing have gotten to the point where it's useful. And so taking AI and converging it with what are the preferred mobile communication, you know, preferences like chat, instant messaging, you know, SMS, you know, all of those kinds of communication methods. Once you interweave those two things, now a business is talking the way that customers want to be addressed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been following the world around online chat platforms, natural language processing and these type of things. But especially, I think, when you're in a very selling complex products or complex services, yeah, technology at the end, I mean, you always need a combination of people and technology here. I mean, there's, of course, you can offload a lot of questions to a bot platform, but how do you kind of make that bridge then to the people side? You know, that's a good question. In most companies, what we tell them to do is to start small, right? To automate the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. And what happens is once we train the AI to handle those, it's very easy to train it to go up the stack, so to speak, right? To take okay. on more and more of that load of the conversation. And so now we have customers that are able to handle, you know, upward of 90% of the entire sales process from you really? know, initial inquiry all the way to the end, just about to the end, using automation. And the only reason we haven't automated the last, you know, 10, 5 to 10% is only because the business doesn't have the internal infrastructure to do it yet. And as soon as they do, even that part will be able to get automated. So a little bit also starts to become business process automation. And once that kind of leaves the realm of chat and it's more about, okay, do your tools, do your systems have the ability to interface with our chat so we can automate that part of the experience. Okay. Yeah, there's legacy technology behind it that cannot be part of the full process yet. Correct. And as soon as those get caught up, then the full process is available. So does that mean that 100% of all the interaction along the journey can be handled by, well, technology then? I mean, so where does the people side remain? Well, so you kind of look at it as a partnership, right? So the people side, uh-huh. you know, when we're designing these conversation flows, obviously humans are involved in the design of the conversation yeah. flow. Sure. And in learning what content is going to be used throughout that process. We're also using humans in kind of a supervisory role to make sure that as we're analyzing conversations and seeing how they're performing, that humans are part of the optimization process. Yeah. Obviously, there's a really strong machine learning component that plays into most of it. But oftentimes, a human will be like, you know what, there might be a better piece of content we can provide here or a better type of response maybe we would do this other thing so humans are still very much involved in the supervisory aspect of that whole Uh engagement process and then we also have the ability to hand over the conversation to a human at any point in time so businesses can set up a rule that says okay if a or b or c takes place then i want the bot to hand over the conversation to a human agent and that is a very seamless handover and then when the human agent is done they can opt to pass it back to the bot or keep it, right? And it's always the human's decision on what's going to happen there. So there's definitely a strong partnership. I would say we're not creating a world where the AI exists in its own without supervision, without participation. Not at all. It's always there to serve. No, what you you see at the end is that you move towards the exceptions and where where the high value conversations take place. That's what I would believe. 
Yes, exactly. And so you may have a chatbot handling kind of the front end of the process or early stages of the engagement. And then as the relationship matures, then the humans really take over. Exactly. I mean, since when has the company started? We incorporated in 2016. So it was, you know, toward the end of 2016. So pretty much almost 2017 when we started. We spent our first six to eight months doing a lot of validation. So before Uh we even wrote a line of code, we spent time researching, interviewing prospective customers, trying to really define what the product capabilities would be and, and making sure that there was a market for what we were looking for. And it wasn't until we had that really solid. Then we started to build prototypes of the product and brought on our first early access customer. Uh-huh. which was great because that way we created the product with a real customer use case, not just in mind, but that was going to use it, right? So yeah. that was very helpful because then we weren't creating something in a vacuum. We were testing it with real customers, real data, yeah, real interactions. And then you saw that last year in 2019, in the fall, we won the Arizona Innovation Challenge, which is one of the biggest innovation prizes from you know the public sector in the United States. Wow. And it's a huge honor to get that award. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's, that makes you proud at the end. You know, you're doing it for the right, right. reason. And so, the reason it won the award was because we had been able to get such great results for these large, large businesses that are using our product. Yeah, I mean, talking about those results, what have you been most proud of? I mean, have you got an anecdote of a customer where even you were amazed what you were seeing? Yes, yes. You know, so much of this is all you know, at the beginning, when you're starting any entrepreneur, right, that is starting usually has a thesis, right? They believe that something will be better with their product, right? But it's one thing to believe it. And the next thing to actually produce that result. (laughs) True. Exactly. And we finally crossed that threshold last year, when we were starting to get back some of the analytics and reports, one of our customers had unbeknownst to us, run an A-B test where they ran half of their ad traffic to the chat experience that was on our platform and the other half of their ad traffic to just their typical booking website just to see what would happen. And it turned out that when they directed customers to chat, they had twice as many bookings, twice as many sales (laughs) and conversions as the other ad traffic. And it wasn't that the ads were performing any differently. It's that customers wanted to actually have answers about things before they made a decision. And if you don't give them a place where they can have those conversations, then they abandon, right? And that's what they were able to overcome by having the chat experience as part of the journey. And so then we went from believing to actually seeing that, yes, this works. When you answer a customer's questions immediately and exactly when they need, they convert at a higher rate. And that right now we're seeing it's at a you know hundred to hundred and five percent higher in conversion rate. Well, that's fantastic. You know, yeah. Then it's just pouring more into it, and yeah, it starts flowing. <laughs> but I can't right. Imagine- so now they're saying, well, we can do this with more things. Like, why did we just limit it to booking appointments? Now let's sell memberships with it. Let's do these five other things, right? So yeah. as soon as they see those metrics, they get really excited. And for us, it's great too because now we know we're not just saying we think it'll work. We know it will work. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the, the art of the statistics and that you can st- yeah, you actually see that on a day-to-day basis, what is working, what is not working. So talking exactly. about those, kind of the evolution of the product and what you put in technically, 
What did you do specifically to make your product stand out in the marketplace? Are there any specific capabilities that you focus specifically on? Yes, absolutely. You know, the chatbot market, and I use air quotes between the words chatbot, Mm-hmm. is very crowded with a lot of what I would consider to be low-level products. And so it's hard, you know, if, when you're in that space, to be in the same category can be difficult, right? Because you sure. immediately get associated with all the, what I would consider kind of like dumb bots that are out there, yeah. right? <laughs> they are not really using a natural language processing-based approach. They're not using the most advanced methods of, AI, they're really using more of like a brute force and rules based approach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what most people are doing. That's, you know, 90% of the bot platforms out there are using wow. that kind of approach. We brought in to our team very early on Dr. Deborah McInnes. She is the world's leading computer scientist on the topic of ontology engineering. She is the founder of the Knowledge Systems Lab at Stanford. Her textbook is used in all of the universities that teach ontology engineering. She speaks the semantic web. She is the person who basically is at the forefront of this industry, of this uh-huh. discipline. And she has been on our team from early, early, from you know, pretty much day one. And so when we took our approach, we really designed it using these methodologies that are much more scalable, have the ability to truly break through. And we also focused on what I call a domain, you know, my, with the industry main specific approach to ontology. So what that means is that like, rather than trying to boil the ocean and teach a computer, the entirety of human language, we're just focusing in for a specific company on the domain and the topics that are pertinent to that business. And so as soon as we narrow it and, and get the system and the platform really knowledgeable about that particular product and industry and vertical now we can repeat that many times in that same vertical segment yeah. and have the same or better success rate exactly. so that was really the approach we took we, we didn't try to become a general ai we tried to actually become a very specific domain focused ai and so that's where we have made it our biggest difference let me make a small interruption here rebecca just explained the secret of the success behind botco.ai by taking a contrarian approach to solving a significant problem. And secondly, by being domain focused rather than general focused. This has turned out to be their biggest differentiator. And what that results in will follow shortly in this call. I just wanted to stop here because what she has just explained touches upon three typical traits of a remarkable software business. They strive to be different, not better. They create new value possibilities. And lastly, they realize they can't please everyone. You can master these traits as well. And to make the first step, I'd recommend you to buy my book, The Remarkable Effect, which you can find on any portal out there where they sell books online. And if you want to know how your company scores on the five-star Remarkable Index and where you have gaps to address, then simply do the test. You can find that one on valueinspiration.com slash remarkableindex. Back to the interview. Okay. Does it also mean segmentation-wise that you've focused on one particular vertical or organizations that are in a similar domain? Yeah, so that's what we're doing right now is staying focused within that specific domain. You know, as we get more funding and as we grow, we can always add more domains and spin up at any point in time. You know, it's a pretty large $100 million vertical, so a lot of business opportunity just within the one that we're focused on. 
And also the great thing about it is it's an underserved market. You know, a lot of companies have focused in other places and we found that the health, wellness, and personal care space was really lacking in attention. And these businesses are growing very fast. They're spending a lot of money and they have the need for this. And yeah, so smart. by focusing on that, we kind of, you know, we're able to say, hey, we're not really facing a lot of competition. When we go in to talk to these customers, they usually are not getting approached by very many other companies. No, I can imagine that. Time. I mean, typically those... What I see on the market, the bond market, it's typically we have a solution for everybody. That's normally the case, as long as you have a certain certain volume, for example. But the moment you start narrowing down, for example, by saying this is a specialized platform for health and wellness, and wellness, I mean, yeah. immediately you'll get far more attention. You can start to speak the language and start to resonate with them. That's oh, and then out of the box, the product is going to work so much better for them exactly. than trying to go with somebody who's a general purpose product that you know, could never catch up. And at this point, we've already been able to, you know, log and categorize and, you know, build upon millions of conversations in that space. So we're already well ahead of what anybody else would get if they started today. Yeah, well, there's a number of benefits here you highlight. It's first of all, speaking their language, then the speed of implementation, getting things live. And then on top of that, far better results. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It becomes a no-brainer. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And we do, and we do hear from people that have tried to use other products come to us later, you know, so that sometimes will happen too. But really, we're not seeing a ton of competition when we go out to this specific vertical. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I'm getting excited here is I wrote a book, which I published the beginning of February, it's called The Remarkable Effect. And it's exactly those type of cases in my book that prove that any company out there the moment you make those type of decisions in the right way, then you can do something remarkable. And that will drive growth for you because you, you'll likely have a lot of advocates in your industry that are saying that are well, spreading the word for you, right? Actually, exactly. That's exactly what is happening because many of the companies that are within our customer base, they're owned by these larger portfolio private equity firms that yeah. have hundreds or thousands of companies in that same category. And so now they're starting to pass our information on to their colleagues. And that costs us zero, right? We're not spending any marketing That's to true. get that yeah. referral. Yeah, that's where momentum starts. Very mm-hmm. smart. So, I mean, normally my question is going to be like, what did you learn from selling this? But I think you answered it. <laughs> Talking about when I just highlighted my book and kind of on my journey and in all the podcasts that I've done so far, over 100 right now. I'm always looking for companies that are moving the edge, that are transformative and doing something that's worth making a remark about. So what do you believe from your experience as an entrepreneur? What is a key trait to run or to create a remarkable software company? Wow. Okay. I'm pausing just because I want to think for a minute. That's a good question. You know, for me, a lot of it is being able to find and see how things come together from a broader perspective. Right. As an entrepreneur, I'm constantly collecting pieces of information from so many places and knowing how to post it that makes sense and that is useful to my customer is my challenge every single day. And for me, I think the thing that I brought to the table that was unique and different is that, you know, I have 20 years of experience in this in this business. And so I understand what my customer's world looks like and I can sell to them in a way that makes sense to them. And I can build a company and a product and a service that really speaks to what their needs are. 
And I think that a lot of entrepreneurs think that you can skip that step and maybe they can. But in my case, that would have never been possible. So I would say, you know, having a lot of personal experience that you can bring to the table, knowing how to connect the dots and seeing the relationship between all of these bits of information that you're collecting. And then finally, just having the motivation to do something with all of it. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people with good ideas out there, but then it's a slog. It's not, you know, the day-to-day work of getting a business and a company off the ground and a software product out the door is not that glamorous. And it requires (laughs) just a lot of heavy lifting and time and effort. And having the wherewithal to get through all that, I think is, is you know, this is the fourth thing I would add to the mix. Yeah. Well, I think you've highlighted a number of those of the topics that I'm actually discussing in my book as well. But yeah. that's definitely the case. And it all starts with solving something that's valuable and critical to the business. That's If you have something like that, of course, that's the idea. But then, yeah, hang in there to make it all come through. So let me see the learnings from the last three years. What has been the biggest challenge that you had to overcome on your journey? I would say the biggest challenge has been actually fundraising has been challenging during the early seed stage of the business. There's a lot of money out there, but everybody wants you to be at a million in revenue or more right before they Mm -hmm. invest in your company. So there's a ton of money out there if you can get to that million ARR (laughs) point. But how do you get funding before that? right? Uh-huh. That's the hard part. And so, you know, one of the things that we found was that as a team, it was a little bit harder than we thought to get some of that initial funding, not because people didn't believe in our idea. I think there were plenty of people believing in the idea, but it's almost like, you know, there seems to be a delay taking place where later investors are wanting to invest in companies that are further down the line. And yeah. so it's really getting through those first couple of years before you get to that million in revenue that is definitely a challenge. You know, fortunately, in my case, we were funded by, of course, our own bootstrap efforts and, you know, our personal pocketbooks, and then also customers that early on believed in us. And that's how I knew we had product market fit, because if customers were willing to pay before our product was even done, then it showed me that this is something that is needed desperately. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of a double-edged sword. You got the idea, but then you need the extra money in order to create it. And then the market is waiting for you to demonstrate that you have the value. And yeah, it's interesting. This is not the first time I hear this one. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies are struggling with that. So, I mean, would there be anything you would be doing differently if you could do it again? I would have probably moved faster on some things. Uh Uh-huh. You know, I think that there are times when I moved maybe a little bit more cautiously because of the amount of money up front that we had to put in. And so, you know, when it's your own money, you're like, oh, I want to be really sure. I want to be really careful, (laughs) which, you know, is good. But at the same time, it also means that everything moves a little bit slower. So I think maybe not hesitating and moving a little bit more quickly and just, you know, not being worried about, you know, just trying more things faster, I guess is the word in, in Silicon Valley, they use the term, you know, fail yeah. faster. Yeah, exactly. So Any giving myself more permission to fail faster, you know, just trying more things. So for example, you know, when we were determining what might be the best platform to use for our product, you know, rather than spending a lot of time evaluating a lot of different ones, maybe just moving more quickly or, yeah. you know, so there's some different things that you can definitely do to prototype more quickly 
to fail faster and just move your whole process yeah. through yeah. more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always an interesting one. That whole discussion around make, buy, or, uh, or partner. Have you got any examples of that in terms of what you deliberately did, did partner for rather than create it yourself? Well, for example, we used a lot of tools. One of the things that was very fortunate, a lot of time pitching at pitch competitions to practice my pitching and also to get in front of more investors. Uh-huh. And in that process, I came across Google's startup program. They have this whole program called Google for Startups. Yeah. And so they actually gave us, on two different occasions, $20,000 in credits for Google products. And that was actually very helpful because it prevented us from reinventing the wheel. And we were able to use some out-of-the-box tools and capabilities that Google already had. And what's nice about that is that it allowed us to kind of really focus on the application layer versus spending a lot of time on the infrastructure layer of our platform. Yeah. And so I would advise like, hey, don't go and try to rebuild your own cloud infrastructure or use the tools that either Google or Microsoft or Amazon had already put out there for the developer community because there's no sense in trying to spend time rebuilding those. No, it's I just not where you're going to get that. value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, of course, sometimes is a tough discussion to have with technology experts. Mm-hmm. Because the prototype well, and in my, is... And, yeah. <laughs> prototype yeah, in my is, case, is what I was going to say is... Yeah, exactly. And people, engineers like to build everything themselves. So that's a a common issue. But in my case, because we got these credits from Google, in a way, it's almost like Google paid us to use their products. (laughs) And that helped a lot. (laughs) Yeah, because then you have a different business case to discuss. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm talking Um, about them here on your podcast. No, that's right. So let me see. From the things that you've learned so far, there's other tech entrepreneurs listening to this and in general your peers from everything that you've learned what what advice would you give to other tech entrepreneurs to do different yeah or stop doing in order to succeed you know i think the biggest issue is really getting connected with the right people Uh and having your pitch really in a place that they can understand it i've been to a lot of pitch competitions and a lot of pitch events with other entrepreneurs so i see this a lot where an entrepreneur may have a really great idea, but they haven't been able to think through all the different pieces of the business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're not really just selling a technology. In fact, your investors are not trying to invest in technology. They're trying to invest in businesses. And so what are the elements that make a great business? It's sure having a good piece of tech is important, but all the other things, have you thought about your go-to-market strategy? Have you thought about your pricing what does your revenue model really look like? Does it work over a long period of time? Yeah. Does it only work if you're getting venture funded or does it work on its own once you get past venture funding? And so I thought about all of those things in the creation of the business. And you know, for me, maybe the good thing is that I'm more of a business person to begin with. I have a commercial background yeah. and in technology companies. So I'm familiar with that partnership between the business side and technology. But for okay. a lot of entrepreneurs, they're either coming from a very technical focus and they have a great piece of technology, but they haven't thought through all the business pieces Yes. or vice versa. Right. (laughs) So I think it's really the marriage of both and thinking about how is this platform or product going to really work as a business so that an investor can get a return because otherwise they're not going to be interested. Completely agree. Yeah. So how did you learn or how did you prepare yourself in the best possible ways? Is that just by doing it a lot and failing a lot? (laughs) No, I, I, you know, I spent a lot of time just getting educated. So, 
you know, first of all, you know, I had my own business background, you know, from the last 20 years that I had, you know, built my own businesses in the past and worked for large fortune 500 companies. So I had some solid fundamentals myself, but then from a startup perspective, I just did everything that, you know, I joined startup meetups. I went to a lot of boot camps. I met with mentors. I talked to people who had done this several times. I brought into my founding team, a serial entrepreneur who had done four companies before. So she had been through this cycle many times, right? So I did my best to really surround myself and and immerse myself in all the learning possible so that I could put together all of these pieces. I didn't try to go at it alone and, and build this in a vacuum. No way. Okay. <laughs> no, that's right. But at some point in time, you need to test it and it needs to be uh, validated. Right. Yeah. And getting feedback has been critical. You know, one of the things that I have found has been helpful to me is that I'm always excited about feedback. So, you know, from the very beginning, and we were even testing out the concept, I was taking it to investors, even knowing that it was too early for them to invest, but just to get their feedback. Like, yeah, does this even look like a, an investable business to you? And then getting feedback from prospective customers and then not being married to my idea, but just really being open to hearing what people would say about it. And I found that when I had a more open mind and I accepted the feedback for what it was, you know, I didn't have to implement it, but I at least had to listen to it and, and try to understand it. Yeah. I gained a much better approach and I was able to improve my overall pitch and improve the business by doing that. That's very wise lessons shared here. Well, that's where a lot of things fail. I actually literally had a, someone said to me last week, you know, that it's so easy to fall in love with your own idea in your company. <laughs> yes. Sometimes that, that happens already in the early stages, but it happens a lot with organizations that have been around for a while. That's where you get complacent. Mm-hmm. Fun. So what is next for you? What is your biggest aspiration for the next 12 to 24 months? So our focus right now is scaling, taking the early wins that we've had for our business and repeating them. So right now my focus is on building a repeatable sales strategy, really getting the sales program up and running. We have some exciting advancements in our product roadmap that are also coming along very nicely. So those I think are, you know, for me, the next 12 to 18 months are really focused around that. And then we'll be ready for, you know, our next round of investment. So, you know, hitting, hitting that investor (laughs) circuit again is going to be, you know, definitely on my calendar the end of the year or early next year. Exactly. So have you got already, have you already had your thought around, well, how the business could change with what's currently going on with the coronavirus? You know, it's really interesting. I've been getting a lot of calls from companies because of the coronavirus. So weirdly, uh-huh. you know, a lot like how you found me where you just searched and found me on this Arizona Innovation Challenge. I've been getting, you know, calls from companies all over the world. And and I'm talking about major companies, you know, fortune 500 type of companies that are reaching out to us because they are realizing that, you know, they did not have a system in place to really handle customer interaction and engagement in a way that satisfied this on-demand experience, but then also thinking about the future, you know, maybe they don't have the staff that they've had in the past. They're going to have to automate more things. And so we're looking at at kind of both sides of the coin going forward. Exactly. Well, that's the only thing I think we can do. It's not how you create a crystal ball, <laughs> but yeah. there's definitely things going to change. And I think it's an opportunity as well. It makes people realize that not everything you can take for granted and the things that you need today was maybe even completely irrelevant yesterday. Mm-hmm. But this is how the world is changing. 
So if there's anyone yes, in the audience <laughs> that could help you, what would you ask? Is there, any, is there any big ask that people can help you with? Oh, that's a good question. Well, one of the things we're doing in light of this current, you know, public health crisis is offering any business that is in the, you know, health or wellness sector that we target because we already have an AI that we know will work really well for them. If they need mm -hmm. to use it for, you know, free during this time, just to answer questions from their customers about business closures or how it's going to affect their programs, membership pricing, all of those different things. Yeah. We're happy to provide that. So if you have a business in this category that we could help you with, or if you know of somebody that could benefit from it, you know, put them in touch with me and yeah. we'll get them going. We'll help them out during this time. Okay. That's going to be loud and clear on the podcast. And I think about it myself. So yeah, where can people, for example, go to find out more about botco.ai and to say hi to you? Sure. You know, you can always find me on LinkedIn. It's Rebecca Clyde. If you wish to send me an instant message there, I'm pretty good about responding. And then if you want to go to our website, it's botco.ai and there's a little button there that says schedule a demo. And if you click on that, you can get an appointment with us and we will be able to answer any questions that you might have. Okay. That sounds simple enough. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. This was inspiring to me. It's always interesting to hear different perspectives. And I liked your approach towards segmentation. I also liked your approach towards the innovation that is taking place and how you come about to create something and to create a product in actually what is yeah, quite a dense market and with a lot of, like you say, dumb bots in there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, yeah, I mean, that's always a challenge that a lot of organizations are struggling with. And I think they can learn something from that. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you, Ton. And I'll be sure to get your book in front of my startup community here. I'm actually in a couple of different accelerators. So I'm going to share your book with some of my colleagues nice. as well. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great one. So I'll make sure we all have that resource. Wow. I highly appreciate that, Rebecca. And that leaves me to turn myself to my audience. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Rebecca as much as I did. And if you have any questions to me or to her, please share them. Just send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. And if you liked it and got inspired by this interview, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thanks for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Rebecca Clyde, co-founder and CEO of Podco.ai. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what 
ransomware is all about is psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.